Hello, Pathfolk, and welcome to After Party 29. 29. Of Find the Path. Episodes 85, 6, and 7. The yep. ones with the Dark Depository. Yep. Yeah, that's... Uh, Sounds that's like a really, really evil bank. Thing. Dark Depository. It does sound like an <laughs> it does evil sound bank. like a really evil bank. It's the alternative name for, like, evil Gringotts, or whatever <laughs> the Gringotts I don't know, the goblins are really that Okay, it's, it's a lawful evil temple of Abadar, because it's any lawful neutral. Yeah. So, there you go. Evil Bank of Abadar is the Dark Depository. Wouldn't that just be a Bank of Abadar? Yes. In Heather's world, yes. In Heather's world, yes. Hashtag so, fight her. <laughs> these are the ones where we find the temple, and the, or the temple. Now you have me thinking temples. Gosh darn. <laughs> where we find the Dark Depository, intimidate slash bribe some children, and uh, fight some golems. And end on a cliffhanger of us about to fight fear beasts. I got that. Yes. It's fine. She's very confident. Mm-hmm. She is very confident. Probably because she has removed fear. Falsely confident. Oh, no. I'm pretty excited about mazes. I'm glad I put all those ranks into survival. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, I think, uh, what was it? 85 had uh, you guys doing your research. 85 was where we explored the city yep. and talked to Neff and... Neef. Neef. And then uh, we entered the Dark Depository and triggered the crocodile bone golem awakening. So that was a really cool spell that you did in that episode. Uh, what was it? Ears of the City? Something like that? Uh, yeah. That was a really yeah. cool spell. I liked I liked how Rick handled that with the thematics. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was cool that it was like, guys, perceptioned until we figured out like a general area and then I got to use the spell to oh, narrow man. down further. It was cool. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of good teamwork going on in that one. Yeah. yeah. What was in Neef's house? Was it just where they lived? Um, yeah, actually, that's a good question. What is in Neef's house? Is it just like a flo- their flop house or whatever? It's just, it's just where they live. Oh. It's where you go in there Sad. and there's like all the hammocks put up. And then there's, there's of course, like the burlap doll for like the little kids sitting oh. there. And there's the, Why one, did I like, ask this? No, the, the one girl in the corner being like. Oh, like the, I, mean, I don't. I'm, I'm going to use what extraordinarily little pool that we have with Paizo. And reach out to them and ask them, have any of you ever looked at the kineticist from the occult book? Absolutely. I've yes. actually played it. And, well, no, no. I mean, like, the, I, sorry, the, the iconic. Oh, the iconic. Yeah, yes, the yes, yes, yeah. kid. Who has the amazing burlap owlbear plushie yes. that they carry around? And how has six. Paizo never made this freaking plushie and sold that on their sh- shop? So, you, at the very least, there were at least five of those in that kid's house. Okay, sure. <laughs> nice. And they're even all though, owlbears for some Yeah, reason. even though they have no idea what an owlbear is because that's probably they were not imported. remotely... <laughs> they, they, they're they're the leftovers from like some merchant who brought them in being like Albert toys they're gonna be a hit with the kids and they just flopped because everybody's like what is this you know what it probably was it was probably a shipment of Taldane stuff that came to the south and then Falto bought like a whole bunch of those toys yeah. and then while he was walking around town and all the rest of you were busy doing your research <laughs> oh, he's stuff, just giving out he was, like, toys. handing out little Albert toys to children <laughs> you know that they're probably in the background at some point there was a Falto helping out orphans on the back streets and teaching them how to stand up to bullies side like that. Oh man, that's cool. Alto's getting so, the, the best of this adventure. We also had that writ. Did that writ actually do anything? Probably not. I don't think so because we haven't shown it to anybody. Well, or anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you went down into the dark depository without it, and if the temple was lying and they actually knew where the dark depository was, they could arrest you upon trying to leave the dark depository without the writ. Fair. Okay, but like outside of that. Yeah, I feel like um, I was super gypped. I feel like we got nothing of value for winning that race, and I'm really upset about it. No, you you got something of extraordinary value from uh, doing the race. Two scrolls of flesh, or stone to flesh. Yeah. Fair. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is actually of a higher value than you would have made even if you had succeeded in getting second place in that race. So effectively, I was promised my heart's desire. If anyone is yep. disappointed, it's Mom and Offer. Yeah, because you, like, you didn't ask for her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have gone. Should have been like place. an evening with you, my love. Okay, I shall then. recite poetry about horses, <laughs> and, then, and then ask you for a writ. <laughs> and then ask you for. No, I gotta have a vulnerable. serious conversation with that lady soon. About horses? No. <laughs> Camels. To be fair, she did also give you honor and victory. And a cool place to live. Yeah. Yeah, now we're not you paying seven gold a night. You didn't about your camels. We do have camels. Well, y'all have camels. Yeah, Citra's trying to think of a name stuff. for hers right now. They're honor and victory. Honor and victory are their names. Yeah, that's the name of them. Honor yeah, that's what she named them. She needs to find out their real name. Okay. I will warn you that that's the only name they're trained to come to. Oh. But <laughs> <laughs> if you handle animal, animal you to retrain them. them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that happened. So the temple may have played you some. They definitely did. Of course they did. Uh, let, let's be real. I'm pretty sure they sent us here to die. Well, like I was so disappointed. Or find it for them because they don't know where it is. Uh, they probably know. I'm I'm disappointed that my dispel magic didn't work on that stupid cone of cold trap. I know you would have had an awesome moment there if it's just like, nope. That would have been fun. But then we got in there and like that bone golem was just mad at y'all and I got to hang out. So is it triggered to not attack if you had the holy symbol of Nethys on? Oh, no, it doesn't care. It's, I just didn't go in the hole. You just didn't attack it. What triggered that golem? How about that? Us not going down the fearway and opening that door, I bet you. No, you opened up the passage into the room 11. Oh, so just that triggers it? If we had gone Seriously? through fear, would it have not we, triggered? We picked the one. No, it wouldn't have triggered if you went we through picked, fear. Yeah, we Dang picked, it! We picked the one room that triggers that. The we sh- one. We should have listened to our Is augury. it just guarding the sarcophagi? Is that literally what it's there to do? I mean, that seems to be. It, it huh. only. It's only if you try to go in there and mess with the sarcophagi that it has an issue with you. Uh, so it's literally just there even, to protect the sarcophagi. Yeah, we hadn't even touched the sarcophagi yeah, but yet. Yeah, but you opened up the passage into that room. Whatever. So and basically, if you'd open that, if you open that, anything, either of those doors into that room. Because at that point, yeah. you're obviously here to grave rob. You're not here for the knowledge. And it's a... Uh, even if it's <laughs> accidental because we're lost. It's bullcrap that the bone cage has the same statistics as the golem, by the way. That's it doesn't have the same HP, but yeah. I mean, it's also a construct, so... You want to know what the biggest bullcrap is? Huh. If you destroy it, it can only have one in existence at a time, but if so, you destroy it, it can just throw another one. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, I guess it was a smart move then to just attack it and not the bone cage, because it would just throw another one. Well, I mean, it might have not thrown it on yours, but yeah, maybe. who knows? Yeah, but the bone golem pretty much took up entirety of episode 86, because that was a rough fight. That was a rough fight. Yeah, you guys, well, you got a little bit of exploration. That's when you found the uh, sarcophagus of Kennedy was the end of that one. Yeah, but the fight took up 80% of that episode. And we fought the not-mummy the next time. That was fun. I was like, wait a second, that's not a mummy. I, lo- I love that you were smart enough to go, there might be a mummy here, and I'm ready to cast Magic Missile. <laughs> yeah. It's the one thing it doesn't work on. Oh, well. Like, now oh, all of my so mummies will have amulets of shielding. But then Hollis was smart enough to go, that's not a mummy, and so it worked out. Yeah, and it's true. The cagey-ass answers from the Speak with uh, Dead. I love these Nethys guys. They are so like, F you, you don't know me, I do what I want, you're too stupid for information. Like, I love them. They have like a very sassy attitude. I do think, though, <laughs> that we might have... Uh, 
We've done the absolute opposite of what Sebdi said about like not drawing attention to ourselves and all that because now we've just literally done a chariot race through the city Hollis and shown everybody. That. Hollis wasn't there. Yeah, but there's also, yeah. it's also then we've gone down Seb- to the Dark Depository, yes. destroyed their guardians. Well, Sebdi warned us tra- to try to not like upset the Hatia, but to find out everything we need, we have to get into yep. these things. But yeah, that was kind of an impossible so, ask. It's one of those, it seems like the route is break in because you don't want to deal with the Hachia or Mamanafra. Ally with Mamanafra, which is what we've done, which honestly seems like the easiest of the choices. Unless she's trying to murder us. I, Unless none of us are charismatic, and then she would have been like, psh. And then, I guess, theoretically, you could go directly to the Hachia, but that just seems like asking I, for it. I don't know. I don't, yeah, once we finish this book, I'll ask about, like, what the alternate path Or at least once we're like, out of Tefu. Yeah, yeah, or out of Tefu, because I'm curious, like, how in the world would you convince her? Because she seems to be very much against any I'm, of us doing anything. I'm sure it'd be one of those things where we'd have to, like, go do some sort of impossible task and somehow succeed. Okay, but let's talk about our boy Kelru because I looked for him after the race and, and he, he wasn't, wasn't there, there so I really hope he's not disappeared we, I think he might have to go we might I, have don't, to I, I think he and Azaz probably weren't supposed to be there I think that somebody caught on to the fact that he was helping us and then he had Azaz help us mm-hmm. yep and then I think he got disappeared yeah. I think we're gonna have to go save Kelru yep it's possible it is possible and that would turn it around from enemy to ally that we have to rescue I don't think he was ever really an enemy. He's a friend of me. I mean, he what he did attack us. With- yeah, but he, his reason for attacking us wasn't I want to see you guys dead. He was like, I'm gonna stop the fighting so I can finish my research. Yeah, yeah he was very much true. like you're interrupting my nerdy business. Get out of yeah. my face. He it was really about all his faith, you uh, know, because he was okay. only there because it was a temple of Nethys. Yeah. He didn't actually know about any of the other stuff. Yeah, it didn't help that Velryana was yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah she, she kind of went off intense. the deep end. Okay, so then we have the maze, which is still technically in the room. Mm-hmm. Yes, we yeah, I, I, I love that, by the way, the technicality. Oh, they're of, so sassy. Yeah. So, oh, it, it, there's only well, five rooms, but it's not a room. I wouldn't well, describe you, this as a room. It's more of a cubby. You're, you're <laughs> skipping over that Hollis's friend apparently oh, made yeah. off oh, with the artifact. Oh, yeah, major details there. I don't think Hollis, well, Hollis doesn't think it's her friend's made off with it. Her friend was kidnapped also. She was a very good archaeologist. But was she? Maybe she's, or, like, taken over by the Ib. She is Could super be. devout to Nethys. Well, I, I mean, Nethys Hollis did clarify that Merit Hetef, who was also part of she disappeared too. They were the three musketeers between Hollis, Merit, Hetef. Yeah. And, uh, so if yeah. Merit Hetef was with the cult, it's probably yeah. your other friend is too. Or, yeah. wow, you're very cynical. I choose to believe that Merit Hetef lured them, trapped her. I don't know. Or the cult kidnapped the uh, kidnapped the, smart the premier archaeologist of the Church of Nethys. From the place with the artifact. Yeah. yeah. Well, possible. it seems like the cult of the Forgotten Pharaoh probably have the heart from the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. probably. Or whoever has her or she could have it i don't know i mean it makes sense because the cult of the forgotten pharaoh definitely knew they were looking for the mask yep so if they have the ib and it has a way to communicate with them we found out through some of the other research that all three pieces want to be reunited and somebody else has opened this the sky's uh kennedy's sarcophagus for no other reason than to put the mummy golem in there we don't know well that could have just gotten in there at some point but somebody definitely unsealed it none of the others were unsealed yeah. Well, remember, um, uh, Nebta, he was doing research in Tefu. And he got kicked out. Yeah. I bet that could have been it. Like, he got kicked out for being down here. Although, would could they kick been. him out or would they, like, disappear him? 
if he knows too much because he knows where the dark yeah, he's disappearing is just throwing them out but he in had the that, desert the thing is is they couldn't really disappear him because he had that cult of personality behind him it's I not guess, just yeah, like a, I don't you know, think Netta Uras had anything to do with the church of Nethus though he was uh, with no, the he nobles he broke down here he broke in we don't know that he could have well, that's what I'm saying. Is that that's my theory? Is that maybe that's one of the reasons that he was exiled? Because we never no, got he the... he got thrown out because of the nobles. But I thought he did something yeah, so bad thought... that the church disbarred him. And, like, they kicked found him out. out that he broke into his grandmother's tomb, chopped off her head, and then animated uh, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I bet that. you the mom or the grandmother had all the divining knowledge. She probably knew there was information down in the dark depository. Probably told him how to get there. Maybe. Because he could have asked where was the Ka, and that led him to Wati, so he went to Wati first. However, one detail is uh, I'm not I'm not grasping is wouldn't he have had to then fight the Bone Golem? Maybe it was installed afterward, or it could have been he went the right direction. He uh, had a divining. No, head the only two go. ways into that room are through those two secret passageways that yeah, the Golem can see. Exactly. We didn't look at how new or old that Golem is. Yeah. Well, I mean, how would you really know it's made of bones? Yeah. It's just a theory. Yeah, it's interesting. Yep. And then we'll see what happens with those scary howly dogs. Yes, the hounds of night. Yes. Are we ready to call the hounds along? of night until I hear otherwise? Yes, we move on. We move along to emails. We have one from Jason in Kentargo slash New York City. Um, <laughs> nice. The Silver City. <clears throat> Enjoy your silver City. ravens, Jason. Never well, been. He says, congrats. Uh, my <laughs> query you. for the group. <laughs> If you had to pick one of your characters from any adventure you've ever done to try the test of the star zone, which character would you pick and what's one domain they would try to have in their portfolio? Because oh, they'd I have would, to be in the same world I as a star zone. I that come to mind. Oh, okay. to that's which a one tough I one. I would have to go with Gavel Valduvra Seventh, my reincarnated Inquisitor of Phrasma. What would his domain be? One uh, probably Death with a Repose subdomain. Mm. Oh, nice. Mm. Mm. Uh, he smashed geez. the crap out of some undead. I okay, so I'm gonna go with Erica Vera, who was my character that I played in Legacy of Fire, uh, Sylph Sorcerer. Not no particular reason, just because I know I got up to like a 16th level sorcerer, and so I had a bunch of magical like stuff that I could use. Let's go for the air domain. Um, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and go for like yeah, domain probably like air or um, it is a lot of like lightning and storm stuff. So maybe like storms, weather domain, weather domain, yeah. I considered my halfling investigator Theodora, but really she's only good with a group. So I don't think she could ever do the Starstone test by herself. You so. don't know what it is? I know. Plus, I think she she would be a terrible god. Uh, <laughs> Before Rachel continues, I'd like to point out that even in this, which is kind of a quasi-casting thing, Rachel cannot pick one <laughs> and has to go through a list of people. It's Theodora, okay. that's who you mentioned first. No, no. It's Adelaide Cross, who's yeah, also my character from the Legacy of Fire game that we did. He was my uh, two-weapon fighter. And I know for a fact that his would be the liberation domain because his whole quest was about earning his freedom and saving people who needed saving. Mm. It so. also helps that uh, Adelaide has official Wayne Reynolds art. Oh, I yeah, do have do. official Wayne Reynolds art. <laughs> yeah. That was my birthday present from Rick. Yeah. Because yeah. my birthday Reynolds falls on PaizoCon every year. Maybe in the future we can uh, make it a, a goal for the Patreon to get official Wayne Reynolds art of all the Mummy's Mask characters. Oh my something. goodness. God, it's so expensive. Okay, Heather. Trying to think, is there? A, there's a shadow subdomain, isn't there? There's a shadow yeah. subdomain. It's not going to be on yours. No, it's not going to be on yours. <laughs> <laughs> Who is it going to be? I would actually pick my Drow Magus from Skull and Shackles, uh, Laelrath Zuval, because I liked him a lot. He was fun. 
Golem Shackle is a wonderful adventure path to do an evil character. Yes, he was my chaotic evil Magus pirate. With the drow thing, maybe Shadow Domain, but he was also a pirate, so maybe like Storms or something like that. Your, your character will have to fight my character for the uh, Weather and Storms Domain. <laughs> what about you, Jess? I would pick Zola. Ha, yes. Zola, yes. My, my druid elf from Serpent Skull, who I love so much. Her domain would pro- she was a druid with a domain which was monkey, but I don't think her domain would be monkey. I was gonna say she had a whole monkey thing going for. Her. Well, she just has a monkey animal <laughs> familiar thing. Hers would probably be some sort of dom- subdomain about like destroying people who are bad to nature. You're kind of an eco terrorist. She sure. just hated humans. Yeah. Because they were um, awful to nature. That's what I mean. You'd go in yeah, and be she's like, like a poison you. ivy type. So she needs yeah. some sort of domain that's like vengeance for nature. I don't know if there is such a domain. So maybe just nature. I mean, really, storms is basically the vengeance of nature yeah. domain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bonus question. Rick, how would you design a test of the star zone for a GM and a player to go through? <gasps> oh. cool. It seems like the most epic of duet campaigns and not something easily taken on. Okay, I don't so think they've ever really told us what the test is. The very short version of it is... Oh, James um, Jacobs. Yeah, well, like- James Jacobs has talked about this before on one of the Paizo panels. The very short version of this is there's a physical test, which is actually reaching the Starstone. And then upon reaching the Starstone and placing a hand on it, you then go through the effectively the mental and spiritual side of it. And so kind of one of the things that has been brought up, a lot of people have asked for them to do like a module. That's the test of the Starstone for like 20th level characters. But he kind of he addresses it very well, where he said that the thing is that the test of the Starstone, once you get to it, is 100% dependent upon the individual. Yeah. It's them overcoming and coming to a realization and accepting themselves. It reminds me a little bit about how they describe the Bonelands, where you're confronted with all of the failures and successes you've done in life and effectively confronted with every choice that is added up to the person that you are at that point. And determining whether or not that elevates you to the position of uh, of godhood. So uh, it would make for a very good duet campaign, like you were saying, between a GM and a player. But it would have to be a GM who's experienced all 20 levels or however many levels that that player has gone through. Yeah, so that you could then, harken back to all those events. Yeah, and then make them confront that. Uh, and then probably throw some interesting challenges in there or something like that where, you know, they're confronted with the ghosts of their own pasts. You have to go Dark Link and fight yourself. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you, James. That's a fun question. Mm-hmm. Well, two questions, I guess. Uh, the next ones are from Graf and the boys in Man of Waste. What up, guys? Congrats on the big move. I actually did my own podcast for a bit and the sound editing is incredibly grueling. I really appreciate how tight the episodes feel and how clear the audio is, even when people are talking over each other. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, It has to be a lot of Rick's time, though it probably contributes to his uncanny memory regarding events from 50 episodes ago. It does. When Jessica mysteriously left for a session of Mummy's Mask with no explanation, cough, and the group <laughs> dropped to three for a session, I think you mentioned the dynamic changed. I've often felt that groups of three or less can get very intense and disagreements can get more personal. Coincidence? Why are there four players and find the path? Why not five or six? Scheduling. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> six that is means, too many. Now, well, and now that everybody's met Ross from Tyrant's Grasp, if his schedule hadn't been conflicting when all of this started, he would have been with Our, the podcast. Yeah, he'd, yeah. he'd have been number f- player number five. Although five is a lot of players. We tend to average four just because 
I think it's just a good round number. It's easy to divvy out experience. It's easy to divvy out treasure. It's just a good round uh, number. Behind the scenes, the, the game assumes four players. So if you have six or five, you have to like, man- you want to manually scale up yeah. encounters. Well, so the, it's, it's a little easier with four. The classic build is a DM and then a fighter, a rogue, a cleric, and a wizard. Yeah. Those are the four roles. But that- if you have five, you can have the bard. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone loves the bard. Yes. Uh, or a ninja. Why although not? I actually like three. The first F- adventure path that uh, I ever played in was the f- the Legacy of Fire, which was just uh, Rachel Jordan and I, and then we, Rick GMing. Although yeah, I also we, included an NPC to make the. Yeah, yeah I was going to yeah, say we had we had the NPC to make a fourth. That person was not from the beginning. But we actually did bring in a fourth person for a little bit, and it kind of messed with our flow. Oh, it absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. We ended up going back down to three. My opinion on it is four is a good. It's a good number. It's a good round number for a group to have. I don't like dropping below three. If you have a table no. with two, it becomes difficult. And a lot of times it's it's hard to cover all the positions. Not even talking about the mechanic side of it. It's also, it ends up being just two people debating one another. You can't really get a consensus there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, five, I've always found to be a comfortable table size. It's the upper limit for me. Once I get to six, I've even story told for seven before. You each person gets less and less individual time. And so when you have a group of four people, each person's getting equal amount of time. Everyone's getting 25% of the time. The drop from 25% to 20% isn't usually a huge noticeable difference. But once you start getting into six, seven people, it becomes more and more difficult where outside of just fulfilling party roles, every additional person messes with the the action economy of every fight. Yep. It drags out combats longer and longer, particularly if you have, as when we played through Carrying Crown, which is probably what Jessica's nodding her head to right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh when you goodness. have five people that are playing, plus a summoner who has a summon, plus an NPC cohort through From the leadership, leadership. feat, yep. it gets over the top. I think we figured out we um, had like eight eight things running in the initiative order, not including, you know, whatever we were fighting. Yeah, at one point we gated in an outsider and had an outsider. Yeah, and so like at a certain point it became, all right, my turn's over. I know I'm going to have probably 10 minutes at least before my next turn. So like, I go let the dogs (laughs) out. Let me go get a drink and have a snack on the couch. Like (laughs) It's kind of how, you know, Hollis's turn passes a lot faster than Segura's did because Segura also had Isra. And as much as I'm sure the party is missing. Isra messages. Well, and and the firepower of Isra, and the moment you got into fights against undead, Isra was vicious. vicious. I mean, she, yep. fight against the the mummies with uh, Sudi being isolated, Isra was key to that fight. She was an extraordinary benefit to the party. But animal companions and things like that slow down the game, and additional people playing slow down the game. I would draw the line personally at five. I don't like going for six or more. But if you're in a situation where you just go, hey. I'm one GM and I've got six people that want to play. Well, you can't really split it. Once you reach seven people that want to play, that's two groups of four. You could just split off into two different groups. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So I will say he has a follow-up that's, uh, I often run six player games and feel like it's too many people and I have trouble, but I have trouble saying no. Am I robbing (laughs) myself and a subset of my players from having a better gaming experience? I would say it depends entirely on the group. Some people like the large table dynamic. It is difficult for for you as the game master because you are now having to juggle balancing the focus. And I think everyone at my table understands that sometimes it's going to be a Sudi heavy episode. Sometimes it's going to be a Citra heavy episode. But everyone knows that the turn's eventually going to get back around to them. 
It also depends on the group, because if you're running a table of six people and there's that one person that wants to go off and do his own side story all the time, then that person has to accept that he gets 15% of the time and the other 85% of the time you're with the main party. Yeah, it's also uh, like in terms of like the combat, six people rec- pretty much demands that everybody know what you're going to do the yeah. moment that your turn comes around yeah. and you don't him and haw over, uh, well, well, like, I mean, hang on, let me check yeah. my spells. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, once you have that larger group of people, there's no excuse. You yeah. should be yeah. ready. If you, the whole thing of, oh, it's going to be 10 minutes till my turn. But yeah, you still need to be aware of what everybody else does, because if you're like, oh, I'm going to cast magic missile on that thing and then zone out and mess around on your phone for 10 minutes. And then when it's your turn and you look up and, oh, the three things are dead now. Let me spend another five minutes figuring out what I'm going to do with my turn. Yeah. Yeah. I think the takeaway from that would be if you're going to have a large group, make sure that they're all on the ball. And uh, if you need to break out one of those tiny little uh, timers that come in things like Pictionary, oh, yeah, go ahead and bust timer. that out. We have had <laughs> to do that before. <laughs> not with timer. Rick and I have had to do that before, not with this group. But good on you, though, for uh, for taking that burden on yourself. <laughs> yep. Uh, last hilarious question. If Onuris moves to 2E, does that mean he gets extra extra hours of sleep each morning since I think the new edition doesn't require spell preparation at dawn? Maybe a happier cleric? <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason he's grumpy. Sure. Yeah, totally not, <laughs> not the reason he's grumpy. Exactly. He's got a grumpy streak. <laughs> All right. And that's it from Graf. So thanks, Graf. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. Say hi moving, to the boys. Moving on along from Dolly. Why is there Dally? a question mark in that Daily? person's name? D-A-L-Y? Daily? Dally. One I mean, if we're I thinking the outsiders, I would say Dally. Mm-hmm. One of those ways I said it has to be, right? <laughs> if we mispronounce Sorry. anyone's name, we greatly apologize. We do our best. Please send Please in a pronunciation guide. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like, I like that we get somebody whose name is John and it has the pronunciation for John. <laughs> they say... Hey guys, I'm new to Pathfinder and RPGs. I recently bought the second edition rulebook and have been searching for examples of gameplay when I found your podcast. I've really enjoyed them, so thank you for creating them. One obvious downside is that I have the latest edition, whereas you are using the first edition rules. Mm -hmm. True. Do you have plans to create a new story using the second edition rules? It would help (laughs) remove confusion while I, and assume many others, learn them. Regardless of your response, I can honestly say that your content is top notch. So, thank you. We're We're working on it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, um, We are interested in doing second edition material. I will not be crafting my own story. Um, Yeah, we we play adventure paths. I I cannot compete with the brilliance of many of the various writers. Uh, I know for many people, doing homebrew stuff makes it more connected to their individual group. I like Galarian and I like playing through someone through the story. And and having homebrewed recently, it's a lot more work to homebrew than to do an adventure path. That being said, we are interested in doing some second edition material. And I would just tell you, be patient and uh, it's in the cards. Thank you for the email, though, and uh, yes. congratulations on starting up role-playing. It's yeah. a wonderful yeah. world of fun and adventure. and yep. Memories for a lifetime. It's true. 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 Uh, as long as you chronicle it well. And we are playing second edition home game, learning that stuff. That is true. Yes. So. Yeah. We're still, we, we ourselves are still learning to master this. We, we have literally not had a character yeah. level up yet, so like that's how <laughs> new to this game we are. So it's weird. By the time we are playing second edition for the podcast, we hope to have those rules down as good as we have the first edition rules down. To the level of expertise that you've come to, to expect. expect. From oh those of us at Find <laughs> oh the <gosh>. Path. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, this is Heidelon of Karamaga, a.k.a. Heidi. Hi. 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 
<clears throat> Congrats on your collaboration with Paizo and Patreon. Thank you. I was very excited to make you the very first Patreon I supported. Aw, thank Aww. you so much. We're so touched. And I'm loving the new content. Thank Yay. you for plugging our Patreon so that we don't have to do it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon, you should go there. We're playing Tyrant's Grasp. Okay. <laughs> I had two questions. Shameless self-promotion. First... My group is planning to start recording Iron Gods, uh, recording the Iron Gods AP in several months, and I am in the planning stages to GM that. Awesome. Ad- additionally, I might begin GMing another AP for a separate group, and I'm curious how much the players know about each campaign before you begin. As the GM, Rick, do you share the official blurb from Paizo's site, or do you limit them to the player's guide and supplemental content on the area of the world? The official blurb, no. Definitely the player's guide, because the player's guide is always useful. I do like sharing my own personal thoughts on things. So when whenever I'm getting ready to do something, whenever we started doing Mummy's Mask, I was like, hey, we're going to be doing Mummy's Mask. It's going to be this ancient Egyptian. You're going to be going through a lot of tombs. I'm also not really shy to tell people, this is Mummy's Mask. It's going to have mummies. There will be undead. <laughs> Expect undead. By the way, probably a bunch of constructs. Also, someone should have trap finding. I never feel like it's it's a bad idea to spring that on the players because in the end, everyone is there to have fun. Yep. And if you make a character that is unconnected to it, has no mechanical benefits whatsoever, just doesn't really mesh with the story, you're, that player is not going to be having fun. And for that tiny little tweak of just the GM going, I don't need anyone to be prepared for anything that they're going into. It's not worth it. It's not logical. I'm a disappointed player. And as a player, I don't feel that's constructive to making an inviting environment for your players. Like if I was to sit down with a DM and was like, hey, what adventure path are we playing? What should I expect? And they gave me nothing. I would not be as enthusiastic about making a character for that campaign. Because what we get told is kind of the trailer for the movie. And also from a in-game world perspective, we're the heroes who are kind of destined to do this. So it's it's kind of a coincidence, but not really a coincidence that we have to have in a certain set of skills that do well in this particular adventure. Because obviously, like our Mummy's Mask players would do awful in Tyrant's Grasp. Well, maybe not Tyrant's Grasp. I don't think so. No, I think we'd be okay in Iron Gods. Yeah, Iron Gods. You know, we would not do well in Iron Gods because there's not as much undead and and stuff that we're specialized for so telling your players kind of what's coming you don't have to tell them everything because there can still be surprises but they do need to know at least enough to build a capable character rick lets us read the tells us hey read the player's guide you know those are for free for download off of paizo's website and like for this one i was like can i read the osiriani book or is there spoilers and you know when he gave me the okay i went ahead and read that so as a character from that nation, I know about the nation. So, funny enough, literally in just the last couple of episodes, I'm going to read you guys a quick blurb. This is the official blurb for Mummy's Mask. That right. if I had just given them the official blurb. The ancient lands of Osirian are blanketed by the sands of time and eldritch secrets and vast riches lay just beneath the sun-blistered surface. As modern Osirian opens its vaults and tombs to outsiders for the first time in centuries, many of those lost treasures and secrets are now emerging, some more troublesome than others. As a side note, that is exactly what you'll read if you actually look at our information section for our podcast. That's where I cut it off because immediately following this, and this would have been before you even played the first book, Hakatep I, a now-forgotten pharaoh, was robbed upon his burial. A secret sect 
which you only learned about in this book, took his heart and his funerary mask, both containing a portion of his soul. Betrayed the chance to pass into the afterlife during this burial, Hakatep has existed in a state between life and death. The recent discovery of one of these lost fragments in his mask has allowed the trap pharaoh to once again work in this world to redress the wrongs committed against him, and a cult worshipping him as a god-king grows in the heart of Osirian. Can a group of heroes brave terrible guardians, foul cultists, and burning sands in the desert to stop the rebirth of this ancient tyrant? That heart portion of that you literally only learned about in this last yeah, this, episode. Yeah, this episode. So, <laughs> I, so effectively you would have spoilers, spoilers up through episode 85. I, I am really, really <laughs> glad I never read that. Holy yeah, cow, that's the, brutal. The plug there, I have always felt that the plug for the adventure path is for the game master. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even the people that simply say it's like, oh, well, if it's the stuff that's on the back of the books, because if you read the back of the book to this adventure path book, it would have various spoilers for the next adventure path book. Mm. It's kind of almost an unspoken rule around here that we don't even touch the AP books. Yeah. They, in some cases, don't even go to the wikis and yeah, stuff for building characters because they are spoiler filled. Yeah. yeah, I don't ever use the wiki unless I'm just doing it to like yeah. google a god I like we, yeah we never countries. we never googled wati to yeah. like learn more about it because it would have been like oh and by the way here's all the information that's in this that's, you know first that's two why books. No. you know i we usually do the soft cover books and still because of you still you should probably as a player ask your gm is it okay if i look yeah. at this book well I when i wrote holosis backstory i used the wiki because ain't no adventure set where holos is from <laughs> true so i just was like this is never gonna matter I learned yeah. a lot about Quantium. No, I think, I can't remember which adventure path it was that we did, that uh, I actually asked Rick, I think it was actually for Ross's game, but I was like, I need information about this specific thing, and he like found three books, and he was like, you can read this page, this page, and this page. And he goes, don't read anything else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's, sometimes it's difficult to avoid spoilers, but the blurbs for the adventure paths are intended to sell it to a game master. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to tell you all about Hakatep the first just right there, because you need to know who the big bad is, despite the fact that your party might not learn about that until halfway through book two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yep. sure Rise of the Rune Lords and all the rest of them are much the same. And of course, there's the, the biggest open secret, which is book four. Five of Reign of Winter is oh, considered yeah. to be the most widely spread giant spoiler for what is supposed to be a huge twist. It's a I huge, did not have it, it, yeah, it was. Yeah. It is a massive I twist. I still don't have it spoiled. It's great. We're not yeah, spoiling any research if you, online. If you, you'll if, find yeah, it. if you read the name of that adventure path book, it's a spoiler. But yeah, the, the the name itself is its own spoiler. It's yeah, also, just don't look it up. All right, last question: Do you each have favorite classes to play or <laughs> specific roles you prefer to to fill? I'm going to say Inquisitor for me now. Um, yes. God, I love the Inquisitor. Short answer, yes. Long answer, oh boy, howdy do I. Um, so I guess I'll start because I'm already talking. Yeah, you're already um, talking. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Arcanist uh, for Arcane Caster. I like my fighters. Fighter, fighter. I like my fighters. <laughs> I don't even care what kind. I like my fighters. I love ro rogues and clerics, but the summoner is my favorite class, which doesn't fill a role. So It fills all roles and uh, no roles. It's at kind the of frontline if you build a summon, right? Yeah. yeah. Like I said, mine's uh, mine's Inquisitor, uh, and I tend to like to be up. In, I like to be in the mix of it. So frontline. I like divine casters and druids. So Favorite probably class. like healer. Yeah. Healer's fun, yeah. but I like I like utility. Yeah. Cool. Okay. She also mentions very briefly. I'm curious if any other forever GMs would like a Discord server to chat about game plans, since I want to share all the prep I'm excited for. Hmm. So maybe cool. find the path makes a 
Discord and we have like a, G- a forever GM section. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Maybe. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, it's an idea. I don't yeah, know. We, haven't, we, we do not have a Discord server as of right now. It's something interesting to do. I mean, yeah, I could Maybe set one up. For the I mean, future. I think they're... So Although I think a dedicated Discord server just for GMs would also be kind of fun where you can just go on there and... You know, a lot of people do that right now with the uh, Pathfinder subreddit where they'll just start up a thread on there and just say, hey, my players are about to go into this thing and I need to buff up this encounter because they're going to tear through it. What are some suggestions and fun like... Yeah. It's the GM smoking lounge. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. So maybe um, that sounds neat to us. We'll see. Keep an eye on it. Um, And that's it from Heidi. Yay, Heidi. Thank you, Heidi. And I believe we only have one deity left. And I already know who I want to cast. Before that, uh, we wanted to give a shout out to Mattis from Sweden, who sent us some cool stuff. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Sent us a Uh, really cool um, glass skull... Jar. Uh, jar. For the mocking Sudi for having for the, one eye yeah, jar. Yeah, the, the eye joke jar. <laughs> so let's and be honest, Rick's already half candle holder. It. Yeah, and a yeah, Sudi candle holder, which I really appreciated. But so awesome, awesome Sudi, uh, Sudi head candle holder, custom made with special stone and eye patch. And, and again, yep. shipped all the way from Sweden, not a scratch on it. It was very cool. Very impressive. Also, I think we shouted out in the episode, but uh, also thank you to Sarah for providing us with some yeah. D3s. Yep. Oh, which yeah, I think yeah. Hollis we got to put to use. Yep, that's very cool. I claimed the green one. All right, now it's deity time. Guess who's left? Kalistra. Kalistra. <laughs> Is it Kalistria or Kalistra? I don't know how this. I don't think there's an R in there. There's there? not really an R. Yeah, there's an R. It's C A L I S T R I A. Kalistria. I've been saying it right. Good. Unlike Shalin, which I always say wrong, isn't it? I don't like the way they officially pronounce Shalin, so I'm keeping it Shalin. They say Shalin, Shalin. I like Shalin. I like Shalin. Once Just again. like Varicia. Once again. Not Varicia. Once again, as James Jacobs said, it's whoever you want to say at your table that your friends don't make fun of you. Yep. yep. Anywho, Kalistria. <laughs> Just like I like, like Seren Ray better than Saren Ray. Yep. Oh, yeah. True. Um, Saren makes me think of Mass Effect. I did make me think of it too. That's why I can't. All of us are in the same agreement. Fair enough. Speaking of Mass Effect 5, sorry. Today, we are going to cast Kalistria, the Savored Sting, goddess of lust, revenge, and trickery. And beedrolls. (laughs) Kalistria is the most widely worshipped elven goddess on Galarian, an ancient deity with a long memory for old slights, at once mysterious, alluring, temperamental, and passionate. Although most of her worshippers are elves, she is popular with other races as well, for at some point almost everyone has felt the fire of lust, engaged in trickery, or been driven to revenge. She is not so much a spiritual guide for the elven people as a cornerstone of their culture, never pushing them to act, but always ready to assist when the time comes for action. The Savored Sting is a sultry manifestation of everything in elves that is fascinating to other creatures, attracting men and women alike with her raw sexual magnetism. She is beauty typically characterized as sensual, desirable, and arousing, or described in more vulgar terms. Gazing on Kalistria's clothed body, viewers wonder what she looks like naked. Well, it's getting a little... Yeah. And a little PG-13 over here. Goodness. Her, her nude form drives their curiosity to even more intimate places. Although she considers herself female, Kalistria has been known to take on a male form that is attractive enough to make any mortal flushed and weak at the knees. She is mischievous, perplexing, devious, and silver-tongued, disarming her most powerful rivals with pretty words that, upon careful reflection, reveal themselves as humiliating insults. 
She surrenders, quote, unquote, by convincing enemies to hand over their weapons, leads suitors for decades with hints of outrageous rewards, and outwits the most brilliant mortals as an afterthought. Though her sense of humor is rich and sharp, she considers silly jokes and crude pranks beneath one who can convey an hour's speech in but one small gesture and a lifetime of emotion with a careful look. Lies are her meat and drink, half-truths are her favorite wine, and double entendres are a luscious dessert. Kalistra is usually depicted as a beautiful elven woman wearing a figure-hugging black dress accentuated with gold, often with a black or golden silk drape falling from her arms or drawn seductively across her face. Her eyes are dark and mysterious, but sometimes flash gold with passion or anger. She is commonly shown with giant wasps, her favorite creature, for unlike bees, wasps can sting again and again without dying. In her male form, she usually appears as masculine version of her normal shape, with black leggings and a loose golden jerkin and cap, eyes smoldering with barely contained passion. Depending on the views of the surrounding society, Kalistra's worshippers are also not afraid of depicting her in more scandalous attires or situations, and sexually explicit art featuring the goddess is common. Well, okay then. Uh, are we doing male and female or just I female? Just, I just, just, I just pick your favorite. Pick your favorite. Oh man, now this is like open way too long. Uh, nope, I've had this cast yeah. in my head for a long time. Me too. Jeez. Oh, I'm going to pick a different one if you steal mine. Because I think you and I were on you the same page. You get one. I know, I have a backup in case you pick mine. Okay, you can't tell us what the backup is. You get one. Get one. Okay. Setting the rules with Rachel. Firm so, expectations. Whatever, we're on the last goddess. It didn't work for the last 19. <laughs> So who's your pick, Jess, since you're hosting and you know one? Nicole Kidman. Twas mine. Okay. Because she's got that kind of icy, haughty thing that elves have. Mm-hmm. And she's real pretty. Jordan? I don't know. Michelle Pfeiffer. Ah, oh, dang it, you took the backup. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, also good. Yeah. So strong. Oh, you know what? Who I'll go for? I'm going to go for Angelina Jolie. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I like her. Uh, she's got that. She's hot, and also she can play like an outright conniving monster. So I've I, seen Maleficent. I, like, I know I like the range. I'm gonna go with my third choice then. <laughs> Did I take that one. Too? <laughs> no, I no, took no. Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, okay. Took Michelle Pfeiffer, Which who I have been thinking of forever for Calistria. Uh, for Calistria. Catwoman. So Nicole Kidman is still in my heart. My first choice. Dang it! One. One. I was just agreeing with you. So you either agree or you pick someone else. No, I'm going to go with Charlize Theron. There you go. Okay. Good we call. Have a cast Good her call. for something? No, no. Uh, he suggested her for um, she didn't win, though. a different one, but I think she's better for Calistria. Okay. Calistria. It's tough. So I'm going to go out there. And even though we've already cast this person, uh, uh, we can't use them twice. Uh uh-uh. uh. We haven't cast this person for God. There's a little bit out there. But. I'm going to go with Chris Evans. He's the most handsome man I have ever seen. Falto is Calistria. I, li- I like that, yeah, that Falto is so beautiful. That I'm sorry, all you have like to him. do, and I, I no, know it's, I know it's not see, even Falto really a sexualized scene. But see, Falto isn't even Chris, Ev- Chris Evans Chris, in my he's head. He's Chris Evans in my brain. He's the guy from Tangled in my brain. He's I just want too. everyone to Tangled. close your eyes and just remember the, like, the opening pod scene when he becomes Captain America and just like the... Haley Atwell when she just like, like reaches, reaches out, out and just gently touches yeah, that, that, wasn't like, in, you know, that wasn't in the script she no, just, that was just, she just reached out that. and touched like, dang it now, I think Heather and I or, would probably both be on the Tom the, Hiddleston uh, train on that oh, yeah, one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's holding or when the, he's uh, holding the helicopter, helicopter and yeah. it's just like yeah. oh man he's yeah, no, 
if if it I had to pick a boy, so I'm going to throw out the Mel uh, Mel Kalistra for Chris Evans because God, that man. But he's so nice. He doesn't get vengeance. <laughs> I, was I know. Say, I, I can't see him as being super. Well, spiteful. I mean, I, you if you've seen him in other things like um, I have, but he's just was it, he's um, Captain America, okay. and that is a good wholesome man, and that's why he's like Balto. Don't ruin him. Man. Oh man, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm holding by it. I'm going Chris Evans. All right, it's right. gonna be weird because we have four women and a man for well, our we, casting. We picked Tom Hiddleston for the man. Yeah, oh, okay. Rachel uh, and I wanted Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, you guys have your lady pick. <laughs> we got our lady picks, but we also agreed but on the for man. Anyone so we else that fun. wants <laughs> anyone else that wants your cleaster alternative, Chris Evans. <laughs> Tom I'm gonna, Tom I'm gonna go with uh, if clean I had to shaven do the, Chris Evans, not bearded Chris Evans. Yeah, but. If I had to do the guy, I would do Dwayne the Rock Johnson. No, because he is buff. He can what be sassy can I say and except you're well. Yeah, see, he can be sassy <laughs> and like stuff. So. I know. The guy from Vampire Diaries. Ian Summerholder. Oh yeah, he's. I was also thinking just because of the the one portrayal of him, but the guy that played Dorian Gray in the Stuart Townsend. Is it Stuart Townsend? Yeah, in played League Dorian. of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, League of Stuart Extraordinary Townsend. Gentlemen. As a handsome man. We're throwing out a lot of names. Good luck <laughs> anyway, with sorry. that. Yeah, good luck figuring out what in the world to you put on the Chris boat. Evans. Yes, I picked Chris Evans. Which we're is go with the Chris wrong Evans. answer. No, that's that's a good answer. I think we're gonna need two polls for this one for the men and one for the women. Yeah. Well, then we're gonna then we need to do both. We just all did. We just both. did. But you haven't. In Summerholder. Oh, oh you yeah. did. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And on that note, um, I guess, you know, get on that subreddit and vote. And also get on that subreddit and suggest what to do. What? Yeah, what What next? was your girl? What was your woman version? Angelina Jolie. Okay, got it. Yeah. Oh, do I have to pick both? Yes. yes. Oh, Everybody yeah, else has yeah. gone off and done it now. <laughs> Honestly, just because she was passed over for uh, for the role that she should have gotten for the deities, but this one is a good uh, follow up. Tessa Thompson. Hmm, so I yeah, Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson. Okay, so let's Tessa. recap it real quick. Jess, what was yours? Nicole Kidman and Ian Summerholder. Yours. Angelina Jolie and Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Okay, <laughs> mine was Charlize Theron and Tom Hiddleston. Michelle Pfeiffer and Tom Hiddleston, obviously. Or Chris Evans, <laughs> preferably Chris Evans, but if not, Tessa Thompson. All right. So on the subreddit. <laughs> vote but also <laughs> suggest what we should cast next and have a nice day goodbye <laughs> good luck pathful good, good luck pathful <laughs> good luck pathful bye team oh, tom man. hendelson the know. end team hiddleston <laughs> let her have the last word the end <laughs> Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Paths are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.